Welcome to The Close Podcast, where we break down how to hire effectively and how to land your dream job into easily digestible chunks. Each week, we'll break down a recruitment-related subject, giving our perspective and advice, and we'll also answer listener questions. Episode one of a brand new podcast. So Project on the Rocks has been parked for a little while. Um... And we're coming to you now with a brand new sort of series, I guess. We've got 10 episodes planned, and we'll see how we go. The new podcast is called The Close. Um, where, don't laugh at the name, the name's all right. The name's better than Project on the Rocks. I don't think it is, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how we go. Mm-hmm. So, listen, The Close is all about, uh, effectively, myself and someone else from across the precision business breaking down how to hire effectively and how to land your dream job. And we're going to break these things down into very digestible chunks. So each week we'll explore a bit of a sort of mini topic. Um, and I'll, as I said, I'll be getting different people from across the business to sit down, share their insights, share their knowledge, uh, and hopefully help out the listeners. So this week we've got Mr. Craig Sibley. Hello. How are he'll, we? Be, uh, he'll be well known to a lot of you. Um, Craig's been recruiting in the project services space at Precision for about six years now. Um, he's very much the yin to my yang. He always has a different perspective and point of view. He's mostly wrong, but <laughs> we can still take his opinion on board. So the topic that we're going to discuss today um, is something that Craig and I and recruiters probably across the business hear all too often. And it's these dreaded words. I love the candidate, but I'd like to see a couple more. Mm, it's a good one, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. I find it's a it's an interesting one because if I was shopping and I was looking for a new shirt, I wouldn't just pick the first shirt. So I do I do understand where clients are coming from by saying, you know, I, I want to see more. Um, but if you that's knew what exactly- I would do if I was shopping. I would go and look for more shirts to make sure that I am getting the right shirt. However, the 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 difference here is, you know, when I'm shopping for a shirt, I'm shopping in shops that have got loads of shirts everywhere. Unfortunately for the clients, they do not have that luxury because there's no candidates. So if you find a candidate that you like, you need to get them on board ASAP. It's like me going in a shop, finding a shirt I really like, and there's no other shirts available. I'm snapping it up. I'm getting it straight yeah. away. Did you think? Did you plan this analogy before we jumped on, or was that? Just no, like no, straight? I literally just came up with that. Very yeah. good. Well it's quite done. Good, isn't it? <laughs> it's all right. I'm quite impressed myself. Um, yeah, it, it, it's like that, right? It's one of those things. We're not in a market at the moment where clients or hiring organisations have got the luxury of comparison. Um, mm. They might have in that they can potentially interview two candidates sort of back to back and. There's not then too much risk in doing that, but it's if there's one candidate in play who's very good, who they like, and it's going to take a week or two weeks then for us to go out and continue a search or start a search again to provide them that point of comparison. It's almost a guarantee, isn't it, really, that that, that first candidate's gone by the time we get to the point where 100%. the second candidate's in process. 100%. Like, you know, by the time you find another another candidate, that first candidate is going to be interviewing with other opportunities. So they're, they're guaranteed to, I don't know, maybe not use the word guarantee, but more than likely they will be off the market. They'll get snapped up. 
because yeah. the other clients won't be doing that. They're not looking for comparisons. You know, unemployment rate at the moment is ridiculously low and finding one candidate that fits the bill, you just get them on board ASAP. I agree. Um, and like, I, I get it. I understand it's difficult to make a decision when you don't have a point of comparison, but I guess if it is that you haven't got candidates to interview, perhaps you need to compare against your existing team members or previous hires and, and let that be your point of comparison. So if this person is as good as or better than those people, then it's clear, right? Yeah, exactly. I like that. That's good. I bet not many clients will do that either, comparing it against what they've currently got. I mean, obviously, they're no. not going to have the company knowledge, but from an actual skill set point of view. And also, they should be looking at the value add that they can bring to their current mm -hmm. team as well. Um, but at the top, the top and bottom of it is, regardless of the market being tight or not, if you interview someone and you like them, why would you not hire them? Yeah, that's, that's I, the I, would, I would maybe, again, if it was me, if I liked them, but for some reason there was something inside that was saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not 100% there, I'd use references. Yeah. Get the references done and make them specific. Your recruiter should, in theory, go out and have a crack at that for you, shouldn't they? Definitely. Or, you know, if they're still, still not 100%, I imagine, you know, not, not all clients are doing face-to-face -face right now. So if you're still sat on the fence, you're unsure, like go grab a coffee with him, go have a beer with him or get a couple of members of the team. Like we do it here at Precision, where, whereby uh, we'll have like a culture stage. You know, go and get a couple of members of your team to go and have a, a drink with him. Like yeah. I always, you know, when I'm working a role, it's always, a, you know, who can replace that you can have a coffee with on a Monday and a beer with on a Friday and see if you can fit into the team like that. Because if you're sat yeah. on the fence after you've done the interview process, realistically, it does not come down to their skill set or their suitability for the role. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sat on the fence. You'd be just rejecting them, right? It really comes down to their personality or their team fit, in my opinion. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. And think of it the other way as well. Candidates are rarely absolutely 100% die hard on their decision to want to join a company as well, right? There's yeah. always something whereby they're like, oh, they're not sure about this or they weren't sure about somebody on the panel. There's always something. So it's never 100% match on both sides. Yeah, I agree. At least I can't remember that many instances where it has been. Now you do you do get the odd candidate, don't you? That's like thanks for securing my dream role and stuff like that. Actually, I had I had someone. I had a lovely bloke text me a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, saying thank you, Chris, for changing my life. How nice is that? Wow. Yeah, that's mega, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So maybe that one. <laughs> maybe yeah. that one. I think I think the where I stand on it as well is that I've been on both sides of this, whereby I've had a client say that to me, and. I've gone, this is what you risk losing. You know, you risk losing this candidate and you risk not getting a candidate as good as. And it's played out like that, which is obviously quite frustrating from my point of view because you, you have the right candidate there and then the process is dragging out and they ended up hiring that candidate, sorry, they ended up hiring another candidate, but they were just good that they missed out on the initial yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they hired him because they were like, we're not getting any better um, after time and whatnot. So yeah, you I've can't keep risking that, can you? Let it, letting it go down the line. We need a third one. We need a fourth one. Yeah. The problem then is, is it's your time and my time and every other recruiter's time as well, right? Because you've done the work, you've got the perfect candidate, and now you've got to go and do that all again. Yeah. Nothing Very frustrating. 
So what 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 would the advice be then? Someone saying to you, I love the candidate, but I'd like to see a couple more. What would you say to them? How would you help them to see, I guess, what we see? Yeah, right. Uh, good question. I'd, I'd basically turn around and say, look, Chris, um, I completely understand that you you want to be comparing with other candidates. Um, maybe maybe even give my drop in my little shirt analogy. <laughs> it's probably, probably never do that again. No, 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 that, no, no. never do it. Um, but now and then I say, listen, uh, I completely understand that you want to do that. However, the the risk that you run by doing this is actually losing this candidate that you have already admitted to liking. And um, I think realistically, in this market, it's a massive gamble to to be going to try and compare um candidates if you've found someone that you like you should you should be hiring them essentially yeah and the, the tide is going to turn eventually isn't it it's not always yeah. going to be like this there will be there will come a time albeit i don't think it's going to be for a while whereby there is more choice and there is a a bigger talent pool that organizations can explore when they come to hire but it's not right now yeah, i agree and it won't be for a while would you add anything to that no no i wouldn't i think um it's a risk. It's a gamble. It often doesn't yield a better result. And I think you just got to try and tell that story. So um, any any hiring managers who are listening, any organizations who are listening, who are thinking about hiring, if you found somebody you like, jump on them, get an offer out. Don't waste any time because more likely uh, or more often than not, you're, you're going to lose the candidate that you really wanted and who was actually right for the role. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So we um, we put a little a little post out to some of our our candidates and then some of the organizations that we've worked with and asked them if they might have any questions. And so each week that we record a podcast, we kind of want to split our time half exploring, as I said, a little mini topic and half looking at, um, I guess we call them listener questions. Um, so we've got four or five to get through, Craig. Yeah. Do you want to take the I'll first one and we'll, we'll do uh, with um, Usma from Sydney has asked, how long should a CV be? I've heard a lot of different answers. Um, it's a good question, Usma. Um, from somebody that doesn't look at CVs, uh, probably probably not a good question for me. Uh, how long's a piece of string, really? I think when it comes to CVs, right? You don't. If you've got a thirty-year career, you do not need to get all thirty years down on the page. The client realistically will be looking at the last five. 10 and then you can do then the other 10 or 20 years or however many years it is you could just put that as the title the company and the dates that you were there and just do it in bullet point format that there is one page and then really you just want to be getting the fact a little summary of yourself you your skills technical skills and then the role the length of time your responsibilities and what there's not enough of on CVs is achievements, like what you achieved in that role. That's that's ultimately 100%. what clients are looking for is your achievements. You know, you can say I did this, this and this. This is what I was doing day in, day out. Well, how good were you at that? What did you actually achieve? So I think as long as you get that in there for, you know, five to 10 years experience in detail on each role, it's clear, it's grammatically correct. I think that's more important to me and the client then the length might be your first but i agree with you 
I, uh, always <laughs> I see it the same way entirely. Um, I would just say the length is less important than the quality of the content. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I do see that is an absolute no-go, and often I would link it to a lengthy CV, is when people paste, uh, cut and paste the job description as their CV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so obvious, and it's you the job description doesn't necessarily reflect what you've done, right? It's what they wanted you to do, and then it yeah. never happens to be that. I know. And what what else? Um, this might just be a pet peeve for me. But um, when when candidates say, "Oh yeah, send me the the JD and I'll I'll amend my CV," yeah, like, no, 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 uh, no, I don't I don't want you to change your CV to be the JD. Like you are you, and you are suitable for that role because of X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? That, that's, yeah, anyway, that's a funny thing. Um, there you go, Ushma. Hopefully that answers your question. Um, all right, Liam in Sydney. I want to move into contracting, but I've never done it before. What are the risks and how do people manage them? Another good question, really. Um, tough one. So I, I've helped lots of people transition from permanent kind of traditional roles um, into contracting. And I've never known really anybody to go back. I think for the most part, people who step into contracting will stay there. And it's for a number of reasons, generally speaking, most people do it because of the financial benefits. Um, you often tend to earn a lot more, gives you a little bit more freedom, a little bit more flexibility. But yes, I suppose the risk is the downtime in between contracts. Um, now at a time like this, where there's so much work out, um, it's probably less risky. But you do need to plan for downtime between your contracts. And, you know, the risk of that is built into your day rate, I'd say, for the most part. Um, so, you know, you might if you're just stepping into the world of contracting and you're a little bit unsure, you might start to build up your rainy day fund to make sure that you've got four or five weeks worth of income um, in your back pocket for when your contract finishes. But if you're working through a recruiter, what I would say is they will more than likely, or certainly we would, um, prioritise you if you were coming out of a contract for us in terms of rolling you into another contract. So generally speaking, you should start that process, I'd say five to six weeks before your end date get proactive and, and get out there. And that will give you ample time. Um, to be honest with you, you don't even need that much time in a market like this. Um, but outside of that, I think it's not as complicated as it used to be. Um, obviously, there's the tax piece if you're running it through your own limited company that can add a complexity. Um, but again, most organizations would offer you some sort of payrolling service as well, which kind of takes all of that out of there. So to be honest, I think if you've got a an inclination to want to get into contracting, I'd go for it. I mean, this is the time, right? There's, yeah. There has never been more opportunity. Worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out for you, you'll find a perm role in a heartbeat anyway. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, obviously, the, when people say, what are the risks of going contracting? It's that, it is that fear of downtime between contracts or the market changing. You know, an example would have been the, the pandemic or um, a recession, things like that. Mm. They can impact um but yeah re realistically i think it, it's it's more driven by fear yeah i think so as well and there is the thing as well oh it certainly used to be see a little bit less of this now but four weeks as a notice period for most contract rules used to be too long didn't it it's not as much anymore but it used to be the case that if you were in a perm role you almost had to take a leap of faith put in your notice wait for two weeks and then start looking for a job <laughs> in the hopes that you'd find something and that i can see why that would be nervy um all right 
Next question, that one's for you, Craig. Yeah, um, so this one is from Sam in Melbourne. Um, I recently started a role that turned out to be nothing like the role I thought I was getting into. Would it look bad if I move again? I'm six weeks in. Um, oh, good one, Sam. Um, I think as long as your career history has been stable and you've had long contracts or long engagements, whether that be perm or contract, um, I think you should be fine. Um, what I would be wary of is when you are interviewing for other companies, you want to explain that obviously this role you're currently in is kind of basically not what was sold to you, but don't, I guess, speak badly or burn your bridges where you are um, because it could just be as something as simple as a miscommunication. It could have been a little restructure within the company. Um, I don't, I don't I, obviously it really depends like each each role can vary I suppose um, but you know if you're not enjoying it like you don't just stick in it just for the sake of it right you, you look for something else but I think ultimately yeah I'd be wary if you if you bounced around a lot in your in your career then I'd be I'd probably stick it out a little bit I mean it, it, that's just me as a contract recruiter it's a bit of a red flag if you've got a contractor and they're bouncing around um, but ultimately, again, it, it and comes down to whether you're a contractor or a permit. What do you see bouncing around as? How? What would that look like on somebody's CV to give more context? Quite ruthless. Um, I think. Well, I, I specialise in project management and change management, right? So, realistically, a good project manager would go in on a minimum, let's say, a six-month engagement. If you're good, that company nine times out of 10 will extend you. So I think if you are bouncing around, to me, it's anything six months or less. Yeah, okay. And, I, I, and you know, you will get the odd role that is six months and there'll be a very good reason for it. The project got put on hold, things like that. I, I understand that. But if you have got six months, four months, three months, six months, eight months, four months, it's a red flag. Um, yeah, so where it's consistently short yeah um, engagement so uh, again yeah so sam sorry i'm not much help with you there but yeah it really ultimately comes down to kind of what your career um longevity looks like in each role i suppose um, i agree i think as long as you can tell the story and give clear reasons as to why it hasn't worked mm -hmm. out and you're taking control of it early i think that can be seen as a positive yeah or you know even as another one you know have a chat with your manager as well uh don't don't just immediately jump the gun and look at Oh, I'm going to look at another role. Actually, have a chat with your manager and say, "Look, I'm, you know, a little concerned that this is what you told me the role would be, and this is actually what I'm doing." Um, you know, <laughs> in this market, the client will try and resolve that, especially so after well, just yeah. hiring you. You know. Yeah. Um, all right, John has asked, "Are you worried about recent rounds of redundancies happening in Australia? Do you think it's a sign of bigger things to come?" I suppose that's more of a question for like an economist or an analyst or something, but I'll give you my gut, my gut feel or my take on it. Um, I really don't understand it. I can't, I can't figure out what's going on in the market. We've got the lowest rate of unemployment we've seen in decades. 
Um, the only kind of fundamental change that I can see is that interest rates are going up and therefore these companies that are highly leveraged or who are built on debt perhaps can't afford to continue working in the way that they previously had. And so the rounds of redundancies that we have seen, and there's, what, I don't know, three or four companies that we've seen in the last few weeks who've started to make redundancies, those organisations would fall under the category of, you know, I'd say massive amounts of debt or highly leveraged sort of organisations, tech startups and such. Um, whether or not I see that as a sign of bigger things to come, I really don't. I don't. My gut feel is no, and I could be wrong and we're putting this down, I'm recording it, but I I, I don't know. Um, I can't see why the likes of, you know, your Westpacs and your CBAs and other big firms across Sydney would have to start to make redundancies just because interest rates have gone up. Like these aren't highly leveraged businesses and as far as I'm aware. I think as well, like organisations that are doing redundancies, I mean, you've got those organisations doing that and then you've got other organisations looking to scale up massively. That's right, and screaming out for people. Yeah, yeah, and, and ultimately there's nobody coming in from overseas or not the volume that we need to see. Um, so it's just going to be moving parts really especially in technology like there's always going to be work in that technology whether it be data whether it be cloud cyber security like more now than ever you know that it's it's imperative that organizations are keeping those those projects going um so i don't think it's a a sign of bigger things to come i think um it will just swap and change um with with organizations or industries i should say yeah the other cool thing is that we, although we have seen redundancies happening, those people are, they're kind of posting on one, on LinkedIn one day saying, really sad, I've been made redundant. And then I'm seeing a post from that same person a week yeah. saying, brilliant, I found a new job. And yeah. I, I, there will be, as recruiters, we get to see certain things. And um, there are like shared spreadsheets going around whereby people who are being made redundant are on there and all of the details so recruiters can reach out and they're, they're getting passed around to internal talent teams, recruitment agencies. So like, it's almost like everyone's looking out for those people and they're getting first dibs on any other jobs that, that come up. So even though redundancies are happening, those people are actually okay. You know, yeah. even though it's sad that they're losing jobs that they loved. Um, all right, we've got time, got time for one more. Um, do you want to run with it, Craig? I will, yeah. This one is from Lucy in Sydney. Is it weird if I look at my interviewer's LinkedIn prior to an interview, they will see that I've looked? Um, you know what? Short answer? Absolutely not. Um, and the reason... the reason it dep Depends how many times you look at it, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just thankful Instagram doesn't have it, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So, I mean, it shows to the interviewer that you are preparing for the interview and you're looking at their profile to see what their role is. You're showing an interest in that individual. Um, you know, I, I like it me when I see people that have looked at my profile. Um, oh, well, let's have a look at their profile as well, see what's happening for them as well, you know? Um, so I, yeah, I don't think it's weird at all. I think you're looking at it once, familiarizing yourself with them, maybe any kind of hooks or previous engagements, any mutual friends, things like that, um, to help out with rapport, I think is good and showing an interest. Um, but yeah, like you say, you don't want to be looking at it like a stalker, essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it gets um, weird. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a massively important part of like 
the interview preparation piece, I think, isn't it? Yeah, like you said yeah. there, you might see that they've worked at organisations that you've worked at, or they might have similar interests. They might be part of clubs or hobbies that you you share an interest in, and all of these things will help you to kind of break the ice when, when you I get in the room with that person. I had an instance uh, last week. I put a candidate forward for um, one of my clients, and then he secured an interview. And I said, make sure you check his LinkedIn profile. And he went, oh, I worked at, won't reveal the company, but yeah, I worked at X company at the same time he was there. He'll know that program of work that I was leading. So now that's as soon that? as the interview starts, say, oh, yeah, don't formally know each other, but I was working here when we, um, this program was running and obviously knows that he was part of that program. So just an easy, easy hook. Definitely, man. Yeah. Um, all right. Brilliant. Greg, thank you. Um, Thank you for jumping on. It was more yin and ying, actually, which is a bit disappointing than it was yin and yang. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, maybe I, pro- you're I promised to my way of thinking. Or maybe, maybe you know, recruitment is very yin ying, and then outside of that. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe yeah. Yin yang. Maybe. Um, all right. So look, well, Rose, each week we're going to be getting through these questions. So if anybody has got any questions that they want to ask, they can drop them through to myself or to Craig on LinkedIn. Otherwise, you can email me uh, Chris at precisionsourcing.com.au. Um, yeah, we want as many questions as we can, and we'll do our best to get through them, um, as well as a little mini topic each week. So thanks again, Craig. Excellent. Thank you for your time, Chris. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate.